are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thanks, Megan. Well, in light of the Real Hope Project being with us this morning, I was reminded of a long project that Esther and I worked on a few years ago, and that was the adoption of our son Lennox. And it was in that season of waiting, three and a half years, where there were some ups and it seemed like more downs. And I remember being out mowing the lawn and wondering across a couple of those summers if our son would ever be running across our yard or if I'd be able to teach him how to mow the lawn himself. (laughs) During that long season of waiting, though, we received a gift from friends here at church. They may recognize this. It's our friends, the Pouliots, who gave us this prism. The Pouliots themselves were an adoptive family, and they remembered what it is like to wait. And if you have seen one of these before, you know, you've got a little suction cup and you hang this in your window, and then as the sun streams through the window, it casts these bands of rainbow light into the room. And so this was in our living room for that long, hanging there. And every time we would see this, it was to be a reminder, that was their instruction to us, that God is one who keeps his promises and that he sees us in our waiting. And I remember the day that I was able to text them a picture of our son holding this in his hand in our living room. So that's the project that I think of. Long-term projects can pertain to family. They can pertain to school or fixer-uppers or fitness. All kinds of different categories. And today we get to focus on the culmination or the end goal of spiritual gifts. We started this series last week, last Sunday, Spiritual Gifts, our spring message series. And yes, contrary to how it looks, spring and summer are out there somewhere. And as we said last week, some of us, as we step into this topic, are learning about something pretty brand new to us, and others of us might be a little bit more familiar with spiritual gifts, maybe even know a couple things about them, but maybe it's been a while since you've thought deeply about it. And so for all of us, we have this opportunity to go deeper in our faith and in its practical expression through spiritual gifts. And I also felt like early on here, I wanted to point out this. Just in case this is where you're at, I thought we could call it out right away. I speak from my own experience in these things, that there are certain areas we could address scripturally that just immediately resonate and are close to the heart. Because they address areas where we're waking up every day and we have these certain felt needs, very legitimate things that are staring us in the face. And so we might go to scripture and study something that is just a pressing need. And then there's other categories of things that we might study scripturally where there's a wider gap to our felt experience. Not because they're any less critical, but simply because we're not waking up every day to this sense of a pressing need. 
And I think that spiritual gifts, for some of us, maybe for many of us, might be in that latter category. Where we talk about this and it just doesn't tug at your heartstrings right away. And we might be tempted to kind of coast this one out. Just kind of check out and be along for the ride. I have found it helpful for me just to call that out right away and to be in a place where we could pray things like, Lord, would you give me ears to hear these six weeks that this opportunity wouldn't pass me by, but Lord, awaken something in my heart, even though this might feel a little more distant. Teach me about spiritual gifts and give me a newfound passion to put my faith into practice. That's what we started last week. A six-week focus on spiritual gifts, about what they are and how they show up in our life and in our community. And last Sunday, we got started in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to spend these weeks in the spring now just kind of skipping around at various spots of the New Testament. And today we find ourselves in 1 Peter 4, which I think is kind of like bringing in the culmination or the end goal pretty much right off the bat here in week two that is hinted at in our subtitle for the series, Spiritual Gifts, and then it says, Serving the Common Good for the Glory of God. And I find it very helpful that already in week two we would frame it up this way. It's kind of like doing a puzzle. Maybe these rainy days you have found yourself or the kids doing that, and you know how you prop up the box? Maybe some households call that cheating, but we used to prop up the box so you could see the whole picture of what it is that you're working on. And that's what we get to do today. We're giving special attention to the ends and means of spiritual gifts in our second week. So Peter, he's writing on spiritual gifts in a way that embeds itself in the context of all that he's writing here. So it's a little different than last week. Last week, the very first phrase out of the gate, 1 Corinthians 12, was now concerning spiritual gifts and The whole chapter, verse after verse, is about that topic. Not so with Peter. He has this housed in these closing imperatives to his readers. Peter's writing to the churches in northern Asia Minor, which is a Roman province. It's modern-day Turkey. And they were facing intense persecution for following Jesus. This was the time of Nero, that infamous Roman emperor who brought... So much suffering to the followers of Jesus. Eventually even executing Peter, the apostle and author of this letter. Now we could jump right to verses 10 to 12 that Megan read for us. That's the word specifically about spiritual gifts, since that's our focus. But as I studied it this week, I thought it is of greater benefit to us to get there via the whole paragraph that Peter sets it in. So I don't want to skip verses 7 to 9. They are valuable in and of themselves, and they're actually going to enhance our understanding of spiritual gifts. And so briefly, the first half of the passage, we'll start in verse 7, in this declarative heading. The end of all things is near. And I can picture the university city where I was at in the pedestrian zone, and this guy with a scraggly beard and long hair and sandals, and he would parade up and down with a big sign that said, the end is near. It fits the caricature perfectly. But that's, of course, not what Peter has in mind. You know, we hear the end and we think doomsday, apocalypse, the earth going up in smoke. But in Peter's context, when he says the end, it's more about a period of time rather than a point in time. It's more like the beginning of the final chapter, or the last stage of a process, 
rather than the curtain call itself. Well, we might look at this anyway, and we might say, well, 2,000 years later, you know, even if Peter didn't mean this is it, finito, terminal station, doesn't it sound like his math was off? You think he expected 2,000 years or more would be the end? Well, I'm reminded of this. In his next letter, in 2 Peter, he points out a lesson from the Psalms. He quotes Psalm 90 and he says, A thousand years is but like a day to God. And then later in that passage, he says, God is not slow in keeping his promises, like some understand slowness. But he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. So the math is on God's side. Yes, 2,000 years later, we are living in the end times in the way that Peter means that. And the New Testament perspective in any case about the end is not about setting dates on the calendar or just waiting this out while the world does its thing. But it is a call to action as we live in this last chapter of God's redemptive story, the outcome of which is secured by the Easter story we just celebrated by the resurrection of Jesus. So when Peter says the end is near, he's making a call to action that you and I would make our life count for everything we've got, that the church would be like a lifeboat that is out there as an alternate society as the world takes on water fast. That's the picture he has in mind. So his aim here is to call us to action with these four imperatives across the paragraph. And that's why he says, the end of all things is near, therefore, this is going somewhere. Here is how we are to live in this final chapter. And so you can see the structure. I want to put all four up there at the same time. In summary fashion, these are the four actions, the four responses that we're called to. So here they are in my paraphrase just listed. Be alert and sober-minded to pray. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality. And use your spiritual gifts. Again, we could have just gone to that last one since that's the focus of our series. But the first three are so good and spiritual gifts are never in isolation from the whole of following Jesus that I want to just say a few words about each of them. Be alert and sober-minded to pray. And isn't it interesting when you read that that we recall it was Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, which many of you just visited, our tour group that was over there. It was Peter who had fallen asleep when Jesus had asked him, Peter, watch and pray. So Peter writes from experience when he says this, he has now learned to watch and pray. Literally, to be of sound mind and self-control so you can focus on conversation with God. Number two, again, we'll just keep these brief as we move towards spiritual gifts. Love each other deeply. And it goes on from there in the passage to say, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, Peter's not saying that our love for each other atones for sin. That is only Jesus at the cross that accomplishes that. Nor is he saying that sin is relativized and that, you know, we can just gloss over it as long as we're nice to each other. Rather, Peter's concern is the health of the church, that in these relationships that we share table to table, it's sure hard to hate somebody if you're busy lavishing them with love. That's what he's saying. Remember that in the Bible, love is not primarily a feeling. 
We just had prom. At least I know Zimmerman had prom. Rogers had prom last night. Love is not a prom feeling. Love is how we treat each other. It's an action. And love in the early church meant that we treat each other in a way to keep unity in this family of Christ. And that it would snuff out anything that would sneak in and destroy relationships. I've told you before that I hope that there's people here, I hope there's people in your Y groups who absolutely drive you crazy. That is my genuine wish for you. And it's because that's the church. And that's where we learn love. As one writer put it, if love collapses at its first test, it is not worthy of the name. And anybody who's married can say, Amen. Thirdly, and perhaps surprisingly, offer hospitality. The reason I say surprisingly is because, you know, after these lofty ideals of following Christ, prayer and love, we get to hospitality, and that may sound rather mundane, rather domestic. But Peter says, no, this is how I want you to live in light of the end. And I want to remind us that one of the most spiritually significant things that you could do is invite somebody over for a meal. Did you know that? That is kingdom-moving kind of stuff. And yet hospitality in our culture is a dying art. Why is that? Again, I'm right there with you, thinking of these reasons. It's because we're too busy, too distracted. And I think because culturally we have somehow turned our homes into this kind of personal retreat space. How does the saying go? A man's home is his castle. But the Bible says the home is for hospitality. Open your door. Share a meal. If you can't have somebody over, take them out for dinner. Host a Y group. Take somebody in. Maybe this is the story of Nick and Lori that we just watched. What if instead of hideaway castles, we viewed our homes as hubs of ministry. It's a powerful expression of love. And that brings us finally to spiritual gifts. Peter's fourth exhortation, use your spiritual gifts. And this one we'll look at in just a little bit more detail. Verse 10, if you look at that with me. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We said last week, and we'll keep saying it every week because it will keep showing up in passage after passage on spiritual gifts. Who is this addressed to? First three words. Each of you. Who has spiritual gifts? Each of you. Who did God give them to? Each of you. That means if you have placed your trust in Christ as Savior, if you have grabbed onto the yoke of Jesus then God has given you a spiritual gift. That's why we want this spiritual gifts assessment available to everybody in this church family. Because that's the way spiritual gifts work. It's a whole church thing. Not just a pastor thing, a staff thing, or a leader thing. But every one of us. I'm eagerly hoping, we don't count a whole lot. You know, we're not... Numbers oriented here, but secretly I'm rooting for close to 100% participation. Middle school and up. That we would take this assessment and discover our spiritual gifts. 
all the way up through the oldest members of this congregation because you don't retire from spiritual gifts. Everywhere in between that we would complete this spiritual gifts discovery assessment. And if you're willing, we're just making that available to you, that you'd let us know. I loved getting emails this week. Some a little longer, expanding on it. Some just those three things right to my inbox. And, and not surprisingly, no two people are alike. It was awesome to see. And so complete that assessment. Take it home with you. Do it this afternoon. It's raining anyway. If you are online with us, we've got it available via the e-bulletin or you can email us. And then starting today, as Michelle said, if you've taken that assessment and you've got your one, two, three spiritual gifts, for each one of those, there's a one-pager. So if your spiritual gift was mercy or exhortation or discernment, you can go to the connections table after worship and you can get a little handout that's going to share all kinds of things about that spiritual gift with you. And then on May 15th, so in a few weeks, right after church, we're going to host a spiritual gifts workshop where you get to go meet up with all the other people who have your spiritual gift. And we're going to host some training around that and just connect you one to another. What has God given us these gifts for? It's to serve others. It's right there in the verse. And this is what we want to discover together. Whether it's inside the church or as we take our witness to the world, it's to serve others. This is where the rubber meets the road. Where personal faith, tucked away here sometimes, turns into action. God divinely enables his people via spiritual gifts to serve one another. And then as the passage says, it's our job to steward, to administer those gifts for his purposes. And they come in various forms. Now Peter, unlike last week, does not catalog spiritual gifts into a list. Peter is just wanting to speak to this generally. He's aware of those specific gifts, but he is going to put them in kind of two buckets that I want to show you in the next passage, in uh, verse 11. It says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. These are two categories that Peter uses, speaking and serving. And generally stated, we don't have an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in the Bible, but generally speaking, every spiritual gift is going to land in one of these two categories. So when it comes to speaking, Peter is saying, if you have a speaking gift, then don't treat it as just something that is your rhetorical ability, some natural talent that you've been given, or that you would speak relying on your own wisdom. No, he says a spiritual gift that involves speaking is given to you by God. It comes from him. Leonhard Goppelt said, whoever passes on the gospel should be intentional about speaking not from narrow individuality, but from a posture of having listened to God. What a gift that is if you have a speaking gift. Similarly, if you have a serving gift, a spiritual gift that is characterized more by action than by speaking, Peter says, remember that it is God who supplies your strength. It would be easy, set up team, for instance, to think that it's on your own strength that we show up and we sling tables and chairs. That you've got a 
set your alarm and you've got to muscle your way through. Or that you would be fatigued in your gift and wonder if you have the strength, whatever gift that is, to keep going on. And Peter reminds us that God has given this to you and he'll strengthen you in it. Now I want to show you a chart that I came up with. This is not from the Bible, but it is a way I think we could classify the 16 spiritual gifts that are on that assessment. There are other gifts besides these. But here are Peter's two basic groupings, and something like this is plausible. I think this could be helpful to us. So here it is. Speaking gifts. Teaching, evangelism, prophecy, exhortation, knowledge, wisdom, intercession, and discernment. Again, just leaning on that assessment tool that we have. And then the serving gifts. Administration, giving, leadership, mercy, helps, hospitality, shepherding, and encouragement. Encouragement, that last one could go to either one. Could also be a speaking gift, depending on how it shows up. But you see, you see how this works for Peter? He's saying, speakers, don't take your task lightly. And don't downplay the gift that you've been given. God wants to speak through you to build up his people. And those of you who are servers, remember that you don't do anything on your own strength. But it's God's power at work in you. You get to be the hands and feet of Jesus as a visible expression of the gospel. And to all of us, it should be clear that there are no first class and second class gifts. Speakers are not more important than servers. And servers are not of more practical value than those who would just talk. We need each other. We need this diversity of gifts to serve each other well and to carry out the mission that Christ gave to us. And that brings us to the final phrase of the passage, the last half of the verse, and the end goal that we have been talking about. We speak and serve as God has enabled us. And here you see the link. So that... In all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Peter says, amen. On Friday night, I have to tell you that all I could do was praise God at my house. Have you ever seen something that was just that amazing, that incredible? that all you could do was just throw your head back and smile. You were just so impressed, so amazed by what God had done. That's what happened at our house Friday night. And I shared this story with you to close. Our family is growing, and we find ourselves sorely out of bedrooms. And so, by God's provision, we are doing an addition this summer to help remedy that. But before the construction company can come and start their work, we have a task, and that is to remove the deck, to demo the deck that is on the back side of our house. And to do so in a way that hopefully we can reuse it and just rebuild it when the addition is done. Do you know how many screws are used to put a deck together? <laughs> and ring shank nails and hurricane ties and joist hangers. So a friend from church finds out a couple weeks ago that we have to demo the deck, and he says, well, call me. I've got a cordless drill. I'd love to come over. 
So that's where it started, just this idea from a friend here from church. And then another guy says to me last Sunday, I believe prompted by the Holy Spirit on his way out the door, he says, you know, if you ever need anything at the house, just let me know. He didn't even know about that project yet. (laughs) And that got the wheels turning. I'm watching the weather, watching my work week. It's Thursday. And I text a bunch of guys from church. And I say, hey, I don't know what you're doing Friday, but if you want to come over at 3 o'clock, we're going to try to demo the deck, and I'm going to order up pizza, and we'd love to have you. So 3 o'clock on Friday, 24 hours later, our street in our neighborhood is lined with cars up the right side and down the other side. It was unbelievable how many guys showed up at our house, and they descended like an army of ants on the deck. I mean, I barely used the drill. I was just kind of holding boards and trying to look helpful as they went to work. And by 6 o'clock, three hours later, the project was done. It was incredible. And here's what I want to share with you to close. And the guys here who were there, I want you to hear this story. Most of the guys who were part of this crew were from church. But I had invited a few neighbors And one of the neighbors who came over was a guy I've been praying for for years. And he has just flat out told me, look, I'm not a Christian. He says to me that, no, that's that's not for me. And he's over. And we're standing around afterwards as men are prone to do after a job well done, admiring our work. And he says to me, He says, I could not believe the number of cars and the number of guys who showed up. He says, I got to get through this. He says, I am envious of your family and your church family. And I said to him, I said, hey, I know you're not religious, but you are always welcome. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And it is for that reason that he has given you spiritual gifts. We're going to join in these words now that Jesus gave to us, that we can pray verbatim and that also give us an outline, a template for all of our prayers. And so let's join our voices. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.